Welcome to Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen, the president and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting. At NTC, we love working with nonprofits all across the country, and the focus of our work is in three main areas. Governance, so facilitating board and staff retreats, strategic planning, as well as organizational development. It's great to be back with all of you on the podcast, and this is a really fascinating topic and story that we're going to be addressing on the podcast today. To join us for a conversation around evaluation, so nonprofit evaluation with lessons learned from the international sector that are applicable for our U.S.-based nonprofits, I'm thrilled to be joined by Sal Alimo. Sal is an assistant professor at Grand Valley State University. Sal, welcome welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gregory. Glad to be here. Sal, you have one of the, the most exciting and distinguished backgrounds in nonprofit leadership and philanthropy uh, of any of our recent guests. Just if you could share a brief introduction and your background uh, with our audience. Sure. So I'm in my 14th year now at Grand Valley State University. And for those who don't know, uh, that's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I teach primarily courses in philanthropy and nonprofit administration, nonprofit management. Um, my research focus areas tend to be on evaluation and volunteer management and and philanthropy and board development, too. Um, so, you know, I've, I've been done some consulting over the years. I worked for nine and a half years uh, at, at nonprofits. So I have some practitioner background, too. And um, when I do conduct research, I like to do research that's applicable so the practitioners can benefit. I don't want to just do research for the sake of doing it or just to publish. Sal, the conversation today, we're going to be focusing on program evaluation for nonprofits, volunteer management, another topic that you mentioned. But program evaluation is really one of those areas uh, that nonprofits have a mixed relationship with. You know, on the one hand, we all understand the need to evaluate our programs, make sure that we're meeting the mission, delivering the results that we intend to deliver. But on the other hand, it can be difficult, it can be resource intensive, uh, and it can be complicated to figure out how do we measure our impact. Talk to me a little bit about your experience in nonprofit program evaluation and how it shaped uh, this recent experience that you had internationally. Yeah, I, at first I agree with all. I agree with that assessment and description, uh, and those challenges still remain today in 2023. Um, this goes back to the days of my doctoral dissertation, back to 2004. Uh, I observed the same things you just mentioned, and it, it seemed to be this uh, conundrum or dilemma that was persistent, wouldn't go away, where uh, external stakeholders like government agencies, accrediting bodies, foundations, want nonprofits to evaluate their programs. But nonprofits struggled for the very reasons you just mentioned. And I kept hearing this story play out over and over again. I said, well, maybe we need to address this. So my dissertation was on evaluation capacity building. And um, I just thought it, it, would, it made sense to finally address the elephant in the room. We may want nonprofits to evaluate the programs. Maybe we may require or even force them to do it. It doesn't mean that they're equipped to do it or to do it well. And I just thought, wow, logically, if we want them to do it, shouldn't we be helping them? Shouldn't yes. we be help them build capacity so they can do it? So hence my doctoral dissertation and uh, evaluation capacity building has been uh, um, probably my most uh, frequent research focus area uh, throughout my career. And it remains such. 
you, you use that term evaluation capacity building, and that led you to a really exciting experience recently on the international stage, which I alluded to. Tell our mm -hmm. listeners a little bit about where did you go and how did that experience come to be? Sure. So I, I wanted to apply for a Fulbright scholarship. I wanted to go abroad. I'd never done that before. And I went through the catalog and, um, you know, there's thousands of opportunities from countries around the world. And I didn't really search by country because I, I know my niche is narrow. It's not like, you know, history professor or math or, you know, accounting or economics. So there was one award and arguably one only that fit my skills and background. And it was the Fulbright uh, Masaryk, named after Czechoslovakia's first president uh, when they became an independent state after World War I in 1918. Tomas Masaryk, uh, Fulbright Masaryk Award, Fulbright Award in NGO Management. So I applied and I was lucky enough to get that award. And my wife and I went to the Czech Republic and lived there for six months. Um, so there's teaching requirements, there's research requirements. I did presentations on behalf of the U.S. Embassy around the country. Uh, but the research was focused on the evaluation capacity of Czech nonprofit social services organizations. If you could, Sal, just give us a orient our listeners and myself to what is the nonprofit sector like in the Czech Republic? You know, we're all familiar, obviously, with nonprofits and what that means and what that entails here in the U.S. On the international stage, specifically in the Czech Republic, what is the nonprofit sector look like? What are some of its characteristics? Sure, sure. It's a great question. Um, whereas our nonprofit sector is rather broad and a big tent, uh, we have a lot of education, a lot of health in our nonprofit sector, um, whereas their education and health is really driven by the government. So that's a big difference, right? Um, and speaking of the government, uh, I know within social services nonprofits that deal with substance abuse, homelessness, the aging, and all those issues, um, aggregately across the sector, 65% of their revenue comes from the government. So the relationship between government funding and supporting them is very, very strong. Whereas here, we have a strong relationship too, but we have more private funding opportunities. Um, private philanthropy, whether it be corporate philanthropy or from individuals, has not become a social norm yet in the Czech Republic. Uh, we must remember there are 34 years out of the Soviet system, there are civil societies still evolving. Uh, but we're starting to see these things catch hold now and, and become stronger. Uh, in terms of the types of organizations, uh, a lot of sports organizations, uh, sports and recreation organizations are, are, are nonprofits. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think their two largest subsectors are the sports and rec uh, organizations and the social services organizations. Um, again, because health and education is not part of that. Right. Um Volunteerism is also not a social norm in the way it is here. When I asked the high school students, how many of you have volunteered? Very few hands went up. When I asked my college students that I taught there, how many of you have volunteered? Very few hands went up. Whereas over here, almost all the hands would go up, right? Yes. So I think we're catching them in a point in time in their history where they haven't developed to the point where these things are regular and social norms, but they're eager to learn. They look to the West. They look to us to learn. Uh, pick the things that apply most to their context, leave the things that don't. Uh, and their sector has grown exponentially in the last 10 years. It's exploded. And is there anything that you attribute that explosion to other than kind of that emergence from the Soviet system that, that you alluded to? 
I think that's the big reason. But I also think the government um, and the government has a there's a Czech strategic vision for 2030. It's an official document that you can find on the Czech government's website. You know, unlike our government that decides month to month whether they're going to stay open, other countries <laughs> actually have strategic visions and plans, right? So uh, in that strategic vision, it's mentioned multiple times that the government fully understands that they can only be successful if they have strong relationships with their nonprofit sector. So I think their support is going to increase. They understand the value. If they see the sector more as a partner. Okay. And now you have the fact that in 2004, the Czech Republic joined the European Union. So that has offered more programmatic and funding opportunities even outside the Czech Republic. Um, so I think these are some of the things that are attributing to the growth. Now, if we were to sit down in a room of uh, nonprofit leaders from the Czech Republic and we were to ask them, what keeps you up at night? What are some of the what are some of the key issues that they're wrestling with as nonprofit leaders? Yeah, that's a that's a good question too. I would say back to this funding uh, issue, um, you know, trying to develop a private funding base because those, you know, philanthropy is not a, a social norm or well known concept. So struggling to develop that, um, I know in the social services organizations, the biggest struggle that I heard speaking to those directors is the ability to pay their social workers proper compensation. And that's something similar we have here in this country. I was going to say, sounds familiar. Yeah, it's the same problem. And as a result of not being able to pay them properly, there's high turnover. And we know that high turnover wreaks havoc on the stability of an organization. Right. So um, another challenge, too, is finding volunteers, again, because people don't think to volunteer. And historically, volunteer in the Soviet days meant that the Soviet regime would tell people to go volunteer and go clean up that street or fix that building. Well, they were forcing them to do it, but they said, go volunteer. So the word itself does not have good historical connotations. Yes. Um, and I think one more challenge uh, that kind of sums all of these up is they struggle with the Czech uh, um, people not fully understanding what a nonprofit is, how it works, and what it needs to serve them properly. So when you, as you made your way over there, and you're thinking, and, and your researchers focused on the evaluation capacity building of nonprofits in the Czech Republic, how did you set up the research? What was the, was there a hypothesis? What was the, kind of the talk us through a little bit of the methodology of the project? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so, Unfortunately, um, evaluation hasn't taken hold yet in the Czech Republic to where there is a rich body of knowledge on evaluation or evaluation capacity building. So I had to look to the Canadian, the American, the Australian context and, and the UK. And I looked at all of the uh, literature and, and it was as exhaustive as possible. I knew most of it already, thanks to my research. And I looked at frameworks used in previous research projects that did research on ECB. And I drew from them and I created my own theoretical framework. And there are five dimensions of ECB. And we use that framework, I say we, because I had two Czech research partners on the project to develop our own framework. And then that uh, drove our survey and also on the front end and drove our uh, data analysis on the back end. So that the five dimensions are leadership, organizational culture, organizational learning, systems and structures, and resources. Okay. 
So those five really make up what we what we call evaluation capacity. Okay. And then how did you deploy that survey? How did you deploy that study yeah. uh, to get the to get the data? So my colleague, uh, Yakub Hechkel, he's an assistant professor at Masaryk University there in Brno in Czech Republic. He does research and teaches the same things I do here. Uh, he was able to get the database of all 1,032 Czech uh, so nonprofit social services organizations. And we we sent the survey to all of them. And we were very lucky. We got a 41% response rate, which in today's world of online surveys is far beyond what we would expect. We're lucky if we get a 25%. So we got it. And we and we we analyzed the participants and and in every category, they were representative of the population of the you know the entire population. So we were happy about that. Uh, my two colleagues, the other one is Simona uh, Shmokova. She's a PhD student at Charles University in Prague. Uh, Yakub and Simona went out in the field and they actually interviewed 12 directors of Czech uh, nonprofits. So we had some qualitative data to complement the survey. And then we blended the two to make sense of it all and come up with our conclusions. Now, before the before the data came in, uh, what were you expecting to find? So, if, if as you as you deployed the survey and you and you started to do the interviews, what were you thinking you were gonna gonna hear back and find? I thought I was gonna hear that uh, obviously that they struggle overarchingly with capacity issues um, because I had heard before we did the survey that they struggle simply to operate and simply to carry out their mission. They had capacity issues inherently to provide their service. Um, uh, what I wasn't surprised, uh, was, what I was surprised to see though, was that when they listed the challenges for evaluation, their top three matched identically with the top three of studies done in Canada, United States, UK, and Australia. Interesting. Yeah. As you got that data back, what conclusions were you able to draw from the information that you received? Yeah. So a couple of overarching conclusions first, um, number one, the social construction or the making of meaning of what the concept and process of evaluation is from the director's standpoint was largely driven by the relationship they had with the Czech Ministry of Labor and Social Affairs, which is the governing, governing government agency. And within that, they often confused evaluation with monitoring, evaluation with client satisfaction, or evaluation with quality assurance. Now, those three things are extremely important. And those three are part of the umbrella of evaluation, but each of them alone is not evaluation. So we saw that confusion because that was the evaluation was prescribed to them by the government, and that's pretty much all they knew. And I I, I think that closely mirrors what we see here in the U.S., Sal, which I, is, you know, yeah. whether it's a, a report that's required by a funder or a grant maker, whether it's a you know government report that we're required to submit as nonprofit leaders, I think sometimes we do confuse evaluation with providing data to whoever gave us the money to let them know that it was well spent. <laughs> uh, exactly. And that and that that describes uh, to a T the situation in Czech Republic because the 70 65 percent of their revenue comes from the government and that same government prescribes the evaluation regulates them, uh, actually does the evaluation or they hire independent consultants and pay them to go to the organization to do the evaluation. Um, it is very uh, prescribed and very, you know, laid out for them. And um, 
you know, I, I, what I'm hoping is that we can see a, a paradigm shift here and across the world where organizations wake up and realize they should start building evaluation capacity first for themselves and second for the external stakeholders. Let's dive into that, Sal, because yeah. that's such an important point. When you talk about a shift in paradigm or a shift in mindset, what has to happen for that to take place? What could be a catalyst that gets the sector, whether we're in the U.S. internationally, to think about evaluation in a different way, to transform that mindset from giving the funder what they want to really internally understanding are we having the impact that we that we intend to have? And if not, you know, how do we course correct on that? Sure. I think, um, and I'll draw somewhat from those five dimensions I mentioned earlier. I think it does start with leadership. Um, I'm all about empowerment. I'm all about teamwork. I'm all about bottom-up approaches. But my 20 plus years experience observing organizations tells me it's got to be top-down support or else it's not going to happen, Right. So the executive director and the board have to value uh, evaluation as a priority in the organization, and they have to cascade that as a value orientation on down to the staff, the volunteers, and I would even argue to the clients or consumers to some extent. So what does that mean? If it's a priority, uh, it becomes over time a cultural uh, assumption or a cultural norm, uh, a way of work, Right. In the same way that marketing within a nonprofit would be something we would do almost without thinking about, right? Uh, a board development, uh, raising money, managing our staff, right? We do these things because they're inherently part of who we are and what we do. What I'm suggesting is we add evaluation to that list of things that we do regularly and we just do it because it's important. So that means that the organization budgets for it. There's a line item in their budget to pay for evaluation expenses. It's not free. Uh, in the same way a nonprofit would pay uh, an annual auditor to come in and audit their books or an attorney if they got in some you know, legal issues. Evaluation is a high-level skill. It costs money, so you got to invest in it. Um, I would incorporate evaluation into the strategic plan of the organization. Um I would uh, determine who's going to do the evaluation. Do you want to hire an outside consultant? Do you want to make it part of an existing staff person's responsibilities? Or do you want to hire someone full-time dedicated to the evaluation function? Um, I think that varies from one organization to the next in terms of their size. And then again, back to the culture over time, work hard to embed the value orientation of evaluation as in, into the culture of the organization. So where everybody understands that this is important. And leaders of nonprofits have a rallying cry at their disposal, uh, right under their nose that they can use to do this. It's that thing called the mission, right? So the mission has a promise or a covenant that we're going to somehow impact the lives of people, or if it's an animal organization, you know, we're going to help animals. Well, how do we know how well we're fulfilling that promise or that covenant? Well, evaluation is your best, most powerful tool to determine that. Uh, and I think that's the big selling point that leaders can use to get their board, their staff, and everyone uh, to buy into this. So I think, you know, that's that's a good beginning. Just to start with that, we'll put them on the on the path to being successful in doing this. You mentioned that that word resources and that you do have to pay for this. You know, there is a cost associated with evaluation. One of the things that I've I've long called for and 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 
you'll appreciate this coming from the philanthropy side is for philanthropic foundations to embed additional resources to allow organizations to evaluate the effectiveness of whatever the grant or funding was used for. That's a, that is a way to build that partnership between funder and organization, which is if you want the data, if you want the report, give us some additional resources to allow us to do that. So we're not trying to rob Peter to pay Paul in order to conduct the evaluation. I'm curious in the Czech Republic where there is so much more government funding, are there resources available for to pay for evaluation or do they have the same struggles that our organizations here have? They have the same struggles because when I looked at the 12 interviews, the the direct the son the directors that wanted to to do more in the space of evaluation, uh, the ones that recognized, okay, yeah, we do client satisfaction, we do monitoring, we do some compliance. You know, we really some of them were explicit. Some of them actually said, I want to move to measuring outcomes for our clients. And I'm like, wow, okay, these these folks really get this. But then they said, of course, there's a but, they said, but um, we don't have the money for it, and the ministry is not going to give us funds to take it to that level. So I think uh, slightly different, but also similar dynamic in that those that want to go further with this struggle with finding the resources to do so. And, um, you know, what I would say to the American nonprofits is when a funder is requiring that, um, if you do not see an line item in the grant, to, to your point, Gregory, to, to pay for the evaluation expenses, um, you need to speak up. It's time to negotiate. Uh, don't be afraid about rocking the boat with your funder. or It's not going to ruin the relationship. Right. But speak up and say, you know what? We're invested in evaluation too. We want this as much as you do. But you know, could you help pay for it? And I think, and this is where I may contradict myself, I'm not so sure the funder should pay the entire cost of the evaluation. Because then it takes the skin of the game out of the nonprofit itself, right? We want them to invest and buy into this. Because again, we want them to do evaluation for themselves, even if this funder magically went away, right? We'd want them to still be able to do evaluation regardless. So maybe a 60-40 formula or 70-30 where the funder pays the bulk of the expenses, but the recipient still has to pay something for it. I, I think that, the, that that's so critical that there is some shared expense that there is some shared investment there because if not you have a funder that is requiring without right without and they have no skin in that in that game at that point. that's right they're getting all of the data all of the monitoring all of the evaluation without having put any of the resources into it so it it does have to be a partnership sal the other the other thing i hear from nonprofits all the time and it, it it's completely understandable is that they don't do evaluation because sometimes in our minds we make it more complex than it has to be. I'm not a I'm not a social science researcher. I'm not a database expert. I'm not great with Excel or whatever, you know, reporting tools and formulas there are out there. And so therefore I'm going to walk away from evaluation altogether rather than thinking about who we are with the resources that we do have to apply to this. What is the what could we do? What is the the highest level, the greatest benefit that we could provide in the area of evaluation? I'm curious for your your commentary on that. Yeah, th- so this is an important point, and I like your last question because it speaks to this concept of appreciative inquiry, right? Instead of looking at the deficits of what we're lacking, start with your baseline of assets. And in my 20 plus years, I've worked with grassroots organizations, startups. I haven't found one yet that wasn't doing at least one thing that would contribute 
to evaluate your capacity building. It could be something simple as simply tracking client demographics or something like that. So there's always something to build from to, to feel that, hey, okay, we can do this. Um, secondly, I, I think, um, you know, the organization has to invest in this process as a learning process. And if you are lacking the personnel and the skills and the knowledge, hire a professional. However, what I don't want to see is that the organization have what I call the hired gun mentality to where they're frustrated in the way you described. Well, evaluations, you know, it's mythological. It's, it's, it's above our heads. We can't wrap our head around. We don't have the skills. So we're going to hire, you know, Sal to come in. He's going to wave his magic wand and do his, you know, Merlin the Wizard Act with the evaluation and take care of us so we don't have to bother doing it. Well, they're missing the point if they do that, because even if a, a consultant is hired, someone on staff in that organization is going to have to know enough about evaluation to work very well with them so they can do their job. So uh, I think they should navigate these capacity issues and determine what they want to do to be able to participate in in the future. And if it means hiring someone internally or hire an expert, that's great. But the organization is still going to have to think about all these other things because the, the, the ultimate goal, Gregory, is to get to sustainable long-term evaluation practice, not ad hoc when the grant reports do or when we're applying for grant. Do this regularly so that you're ready so that any any opportunity that comes your way, you know you're ready to take it on. That's Absolutely. what we want to move organizations to. Sal, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the podcast today. Just a fascinating experience. I'm sure it was it, it was incredible to spend that time in the Czech Republic to get to know their sector, get to know their nonprofit leaders, and see those parallels back to back to the U.S. For those who would like to connect with you directly or get more information about your work, your background, your research, how can folks reach out to you? Yeah, sure. Um, you can look me up on LinkedIn if you want. Uh, Salvatore Limo, it's spelled A-L-A-I-M-O, or you can email me directly at Grand Valley State University. It's A-L-A-I-M-O-S at G-V-S-U dot E-D-U. Sal, thank you again for taking the time to join us. For those who are enjoying the podcast, strongly encourage you share the podcast with your friends, your colleagues, your coworkers across the sector as we continue to grow this community. And I hope everybody stays safe, stay well, and we'll be back soon with another episode.